Um, I, I'm really excited to kick off this new series that we're going to be in over the next four weeks called Know Your Bible, okay? Um, I, I really love to study the Bible. I'm, I'm a big fan of studying, getting deeper, and digging into the amazing things. And there are some interesting things about the Bible that probably escape us in some senses. Um, first off, uh, we don't often think of this, but the reality is that we didn't have access to the Bible until the printing of the Gutenberg Bible in the 16th century. So what that means is that for 16 centuries, after Jesus ascended into heaven, the average person did not have access to just go read a Bible. And even at that point when it became available, it was really only the wealthy who could afford to have one. And some of the same arguments that we have seen in recent history were used in those days. You know, you can't go just read a Gutenberg Bible because it's not as holy as it is to read it from the scrolls. If you read it from the scrolls, it's much more holy. A uh, more modern idea for us would be it's not nearly as holy to read the scripture out of your phone or off of a tablet. You need to go read it out of the papers and, and, and the book. Uh, but it really interesting to me that, that we didn't have access to it. And here's the interesting thing. The reason the Gutenberg Bible came along is because people in churches, Christians who were following God, were desperately hungry to be able to have access to the Word of God. They're like, we want to be able to read Scripture. We don't want to have to go somewhere to hear about Scripture. Wouldn't it be great if I could just read it in my breakfast nook while drinking some coffee? Wouldn't it be great if I could do that? And it wasn't available, but then it became available. Fast forward to where we are today, five centuries later, 500 years and we're at the place now where we have greater access to the Bible, to Scripture, Bible study tools, commentaries, devotionals. We have greater access than at any point in history. And guess where hunger for Scripture reading has gone? That's my sound effects. Thank you. Interest is way down. And yeah, sure, there's always this idea, an economics idea of supply and demand. When supply is very low, demand is going to be really high. Uh, when demand er, er, becomes low, or when supply is very high, demand gets low, all of these different things. We, we have this problem, though, where even among average, ordinary, normal, everyday Christians, reading the Bible has become something that, frankly, we just don't do. And there are a number of reasons that we'll throw out there. I don't understand it. I don't know where to start. I don't know what to read. It's boring. It's boring. I don't know. You know, I, I started a new Bible reading and it starts in the book of Numbers and I just don't get it. Listen, if you have never read the Bible before and you are about to start reading, do not start in the book of Numbers. If you struggle, struggle with insomnia, go to the book of Numbers. I dare you read 20 chapters of Numbers and see if you don't fall asleep. For those of you who hasn't, haven't read that, the book of Numbers is a lot of genealogies. All it is is this person had this children and he was this old and this, it was just, it's a lot of history. Uh, still very applicable, very teachable for our lives. There's some good things in there as well. Uh, but there's just differences of the way we look at things. And I, what's really on my heart over these next several weeks is not so much a sermon series as it is a teaching series for us as a church. Because depending on your background, you may have been told at some point in your life that it's better not to read the Bible because you won't understand it. 
Maybe, you know, you need to go see your pastor or your priest. Let them interpret it for you because they'll understand it. Or, or a lot of times, if there are questions, you need to go talk to them. Talk to them. Uh, and again, you know, we're always here. Our pastors are always here. If you have questions, we'd love to do that. But there's something to be said for diving into Scripture for yourself. And so I want to start in 2 Timothy. And I really want to answer this question. Why do we read the Bible? Why should we do it? Why should we make it a a devotional principle? Why should we make it a discipline to sit down and spend time reading the Bible? And so I really want to dive into some of this and share it with you. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this. All scripture. Can you say all? All All right. Is that most? Some? It's all. That's right. You're doing great so far. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now we're going to unpack this a little bit more here in a a couple minutes here. There are five things in this scripture that tells us why reading the Bible matters, what the what the benefit is for us as followers of Jesus. And really, if, if we're being honest with ourselves, how we're, we're robbing ourselves of these things if we're not spending time reading the Bible. But just wanted to give you some, some background here on the Bible, because maybe these are things nobody ever told you. The Bible's broken down into two parts. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament, all right? It's not like old school and new school. It's just talking about covenants, Right? So a covenant is an agreement between us and God. So there's the old covenant, which maybe you've heard about. There's sacrifices, there's the law, there's the Ten Commandments, there's the children in Israel wandering throughout the desert, all of this stuff. That's the Old Testament, 39 books, and it's written in Hebrew. Anybody here speak Hebrew? That makes it a little harder to read your Bible. There were 24 authors, and it covers a period of four to 6,000 years, all right? That's the history that it covers. We don't know exactly what it is because some of it is, is kind of hard to interpret the exact dates, but it's somewhere in that area. And there are the, the different genres that are found in the Old Testament are the law, wisdom literature, history, and the prophets. And we'll get into this more in a few weeks, but it makes a big difference the way you study each one of those books, how you're going to get something out of it. Then we get the New Testament. This is the new covenant through Jesus. We talk about Jesus, right? Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He gave us a new covenant. Thankfully, we don't have to burn and offer sacrifices anymore. Anybody grateful for that? Church would be very different if we still had like offer goats or something like that on an altar. That would just be a very different smell in the room. This new covenant, Jesus has fully given us access to God. And in the New Testament, we see there are 27 books written in Greek or Aramaic. Anybody speak Greek or Aramaic? You speak Greek? No. Then why are you waving at me? <laughs> Some people's kids. I just, I don't get it. There are 16 authors, and it covers about 70 years of history. All right? Very interesting, and again, I want to make clear that when you're reading your Bible, there are no stenographers, all right, in the times of the Bible, okay? It's not like when Jesus is walking around with his disciples, 
all right? There's somebody walking among that group with a pad and a pen, and as everything Jesus is saying, they're writing it down, okay? It's not like Jesus is teaching, and he goes, you know, you've heard that, that uh, to kill someone is wrong, but I tell you that even if you hate someone, you are guilty of murder, and somebody's back there going, oh, that's good. That's really good, all right? You know, Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life, but no one can come to the Father except through me. Oh, that's good. No one can come to the Father except, what'd you say? Through me. That's great. We're going to put this in red. This is going to be good. (laughs) Didn't happen that way, okay? The Bible is all passed down through oral tradition. A lot of it is difficult for us to understand because we don't remember what we had for breakfast yesterday. But in this time period, where the only way information could be transferred was through somebody remembering and somebody telling. That's how scripture was passed down. Now, we get into the gospel specifically. Uh, the gospel accounts, at least for uh, Mark and Matthew, they are firsthand accounts. They were people who were with Jesus. They saw him. When they're writing these gospels, they're like, yeah, I was there. That's what Jesus said. It's, it's important. So we have in, in the New Testament, the Gospels, church history, Paul's letters, general letters, and then finally, prophecy. And I want to tell you a little bit here before we dive into this any further, the, the different ideas surrounding how we got the Bible, okay? So how was it given to us? How was it imparted to us? First is this idea that the Bible was given, it's, it's called neo-orthodoxy, all right? Which just is a fancy way of saying God had nothing to do with it. It was all man. Some great things happened. It's not, it's not dismissing that God is real or that Jesus is the Son of God, but it's just saying we witnessed all of these things and we just wrote it down, okay? So this is neo-orthodoxy. You get somewhere in the middle here is limited inspiration, okay? So people saw some really inspiring things. They remembered them. They recorded them. They wrote them down. God helped them to remember it, okay? So that's what they, they gave, Then we get further on the end, and it's into dictation. You've probably heard this before. It's this idea of someone speaks and someone else writes. So in in this way of thinking, it's like, okay, somebody sat down to write the book of Mark, and while he's sitting there, God's speaking into his ear and telling him, okay, write this, and then write this, and oh, go, go back and put this in there. That's dictation. Where we end up in Protestant evangelicalism, Christianity, is in the idea of verbal plenary inspiration. Now, you don't need to know what that means, uh, the, the words themselves, but it means this, that God himself inspired the authors, the 40 authors of the Bible, to be able to write exactly what he wanted them to write, how he wanted them to write it, using the exact words that he wanted them to use, and in everything, there is purpose behind it. The Holy Spirit sat behind these authors and just filled them with the ability to write the words of God. That's verbal plenary inspiration. Now, this is really important because it's going to determine what value you place on Scripture. If you look at the Bible as just a a book that was handed down by people, it doesn't have a whole lot of meaning. But if you accept the Bible as inspired by God, as we just read in 2 Timothy, inspired by God, then that makes it a gift from the heart and the mouth of God for us to be able to learn. And so I want to jump back into this now, because there were five things he says here that why scripture matters to us. And I think most of them we're going to understand some of them in the beginning. It's really easy. It gets harder as it goes. Okay. So number one is this. It teaches us. Now, 
This is an easy one, okay? Because even people who don't believe in God or believe that Jesus is the Son of God will say, the Bible's full of some good moral teaching. In fact, maybe you've heard it said this way before, that Jesus was a moral teacher, a good man, uh, you know, those kind of things. I I love what C.S. Lewis has to say about that. You'll have to look that up on your own. Basically, he says that Jesus would have to be the kind of lunatic who thinks he's a poached egg in order to just be a good man. That's a really interesting read. It teaches us, we're, we're right, there's good things in there. We like that. So let me take another step, and this is where it starts to get maybe a little harder. It challenges us because we have a way that we think, and then we're confronted by the way that God thinks. So it challenges us a little bit, and we're like, uh, okay, God, you can challenge this area, but that limits, that's off limits over there. Don't touch that, all right? It challenges, then it corrects us, right? Because we think that the way we're doing things is right. Right? We make decisions, and here, you know, you've probably heard it put this way, that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Anybody ever hear that before? Right? We all start with good intentions. There are very few people who just determine in and of themselves, I'm going to just go make a bunch of bad choices and lead myself down a path towards hell. People don't do that, right? But we think to ourselves, well, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm making decent decisions. But the Bible corrects us to help us see, no, that's not the way God designed you to think or to live. We need to move. I think most Christians can accept the first three, that it teaches, challenges, and corrects us. We're like, I want that. I want to be taught. I want to be challenged. I want to be corrected. But the next two are transitioning us from being receivers to being givers. And that's a harder line because the next part is it says that it begins to prepare us and then it begins to equip us for what? To come to church on Sunday morning, to sing really good songs in worship service. No, we're going to unpack this a little bit. So I want to start here with teaching. It teaches us, Psalms 1, verses 2 and 3 says, Righteous people delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves will never wither, and they prosper in everything that they do. How many of you would like to prosper in every single thing that you do? One. I got to be honest, I saw that going differently. (laughs) Nudge your neighbor because they're sleeping. We all want to be prosperous in what we're doing, right? This is the way we get there because when we meditate on the word of God, now again, maybe you're thinking when you hear the word meditate, this idea of transcendental meditation, somebody sitting in silence and going, we're not talking about that. We're reading scripture, we're taking it in and it's going down into our spirit. The, the simile that it gives here that we can partake from this is the idea that we'll be like a tree planted by a river. Now, even when there's a drought, a tree planted by a river is going to be satisfied. Even when the sun is scorching all the other trees and they're withering and dying and the leaves are falling, something that's planted by a river continues to be nourished, okay? And this is the picture that is given to us. If we allow God's word to teach us we will be so filled with goodness that we will be, uh, we'll be prosperous in everything that we do. We'll bear fruit in every season. God's going to be doing awesome things. So we love that. Then next, we go on to how it challenges us. Now, again, this is where it starts to get a little more uncomfortable. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. Here's the part where it gets icky. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Oh, 
We don't like that. We want to keep things covered up, right? Right? And, and in, our, in our world of cover-ups where we don't want anybody to know anything that's wrong, anything that's, well, let's keep that under wraps. Let's not let anybody else know. Let's keep that covered. It says the Word of God, the Scripture, the Bible, when we read it and come face-to-face with it, it begins to expose the error of our innermost thoughts. Listen, on our best day, let's just be honest, we're not much better than our two-year-old selfish version. We're just learning to live it better, right? But the Bible's trying to get us to the place of not thinking in those terms. Don't be selfish. In fact, it goes as far as to tell us you are supposed to put others above yourself. You're supposed to humble yourself so that God can lift you up. These are things that completely fly in the face of anything physical or natural that we desire. And that's what he's saying right here. It's going to challenge the way that we think. And it's going to be like this double-edged sword, which is just a fancy way of talking about like a warrior's sword. And it's going to expose these innermost thoughts and it's going to drive them out of us because they have no place among the people of God. Then it says that it corrects us. This correction is this idea that I was going in the wrong direction and I had to be put back in the right direction. That's exactly what it speaks to in Proverbs 14, 12. There is a path before each person that seems right. I thought I was doing the right thing, right? But it ends in death. It ends in death. As we said before a few moments ago that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I thought I was doing the right thing. Maybe we hear people who will say, I'm a good person. I would give anything to anybody. I would help somebody out. I, you know, I do this, I do that. I try to be this, I try to be that. In our minds, we have a system of, of doing things in a way that we think is right and appropriate, but it does not always line up with what God says we should do. You know, in, in worldly wisdom, you could be a really great person and still not be a godly person. And this is the challenge. It says that there's a path before us that seems right to us, but if we don't allow the word of God to correct us, we might follow that path right into, just as we talked about last week, how the highway that leads to hell is wide and many people will choose it, but the narrow gate that leads to eternal life in Jesus is small and only few are going to choose it. Listen, that highway can seem like, okay, yeah, that works. But God says, let my word challenge you so that you can see the difference. Here's the next step for us that I think is hard. It prepares. And again, not just preparing us for good services, not just preparing us for the next message, the next song we're going to sing, or the next prayer that we're going to give. Ephesians 2, 9 and 10 says, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. There's nobody in here who can say, I'm more saveder than you are. All right? You're welcome, Harold. That was for you. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God has a plan for your life. And he wants to prepare you for that plan. How many of you in here believe that God has a plan for your life? Do you believe that? God wants to ordain your footsteps, meaning he wants to tell you exactly, step here, don't step there. Go here, don't go there. Follow this, stay away from this. Why does he do that? Is it to just make our lives miserable? Like how many times have we heard, like God's just trying to creep up on my good times here. Like I'm trying to have some fun in this life and he's just like, no, don't do this, don't do it. No, listen, God does this because he says he loves us, he cares about us and he knows the end result. 
He sees the path and he says, if you stay on that, I know where that leads and it's going to hurt you, son. It's going to hurt you, daughter. Please don't follow that path. I have a plan for you and I'm preparing you for that plan. Isn't it awesome to know that wherever God sends us, he has a plan for us? We call that equipping, right? Which is the next part of this. Here's the last thing we're going to look at. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. He says, now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. He's talking about the new covenant, New Testament, right? May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him, all glory to him forever and ever. Amen. God is working to equip you for the plan he has for you. But here's the problem. Our scarcity in scripture is keeping us from that plan. Let me say that again because this is really important. Our scarcity in scripture is keeping us from that plan. Because God says, I want to teach you I want to challenge you, I want to correct you, I want to prepare you, and I want to equip you. And the way I'm going to do all five of those things is through a mostly ruggedly good-looking bald pastor. I don't get it. No. He says it's not through your preacher. He says, through his word. I can know the Bible inside and out and it doesn't change your life. I can know it up and down. I can read. I mean, I know a little bit of Greek and Hebrew. I took it in college. I can't say I would read it or speak it. I can know those things. But it's not going to change your life. What changes your life is when you become hungry to get into the Bible and start to read and study and then really importantly, apply it to your life. When you begin to do that, then God can say, hey, I'm teaching you. I'm challenging you. I'm correcting you. I'm preparing you. I'm equipping you. I'm using these things every day to push you one step closer to the person I created you to be. Because if we believe in our hearts that God has a plan for our lives, and God is the creator of the universe, what other conclusion could we come to than to say, I desperately want to know with all of my heart what God's plan is for me, and the way to get it is through studying the Bible, studying scripture. And yes, it's difficult. Are there times when we're challenged and it's not fun? You better believe it. Are there times when we're corrected and it's not fun? I thought I was doing okay, but now I'm not. It's painful. You better believe it. Is it sometimes scary when you start to see the things that God's preparing and equipping you for and you're like, ooh, I don't know if I can do that. Yes, but every single one of these things is a gift from God that was given to us in church. We desperately need that hunger for the Bible back in our hearts because it's crazy to think that in a world where we have access to it 24-7, we are least desiring it than we ever have in all of history. Listen, if you don't have a Bible, come and see us. We'll get you a Bible. If you have a smartphone, download the version app. I don't get paid to tell you that, but it's a great app and I use it. Y-O-U version. Great devotionals. The Bible in every translation and a lot of different languages, if you speak a different language. 
But listen, we need hunger for it because God is desiring to teach us, to correct us, to challenge us, to prepare us, to equip us. All these things that he wants to do that we're just totally missing if we're not spending time reading the Bible. This gift that he gave to us, and listen, just to be honest, this gift that people died for. People died to get it to us. And even to this day, there are people who willingly die to get it to other cultures because it's that valuable. And we who have free access to it say, eh, I'll get to it later. I'll wait and see what my preacher says. I'll watch another video on YouTube. Not to put any of those things in the wrong place, but there's nothing to be said for reading the Bible yourself. Listen, I have heard so many times, I, I am in my 20th year of ministry as a pastor. I have lost count at this point in my life, the number of times when people have left a church that I was affiliated with for this reason, I wasn't getting fed there. Because we're waiting for a preacher to feed us. We're waiting for somebody else to spoon feed us, right? Give me a little bit more of the word, a little bit more of the word, a little bit more of the word. God says, no, there reaches a point in mature Christianity where you gotta get up and grab a fork and go after it because it's yours. And if you don't, you will spend your adult life hungry for more of it and feeling like nobody can give you enough. But I just want to challenge you to get into your Bible. And listen, don't, don't do this thing where it's like, you know what? I'm going to start reading the Bible tomorrow. I'm going to start reading 19 chapters a day. You won't make it through tomorrow. Okay? Don't do that to yourself. Start small. Make a step. We, we do this too often to ourselves. Get up, go to your, get, open the Bible and read five verses tomorrow. Just read five. Because you can read 19 and get nothing out of it. You could read five verses and it could change your life. And the Bible continues to just be alive and active. It doesn't matter how many times you've read it. I was talking to Craig about this earlier this week. You read it 36 times. On your 37th time through, you're going to read something new. You're going to be like, I never saw that before. It's changing me, it's teaching me, it's challenging me, it's stretching me, it's preparing me, it's equipping me. I want to know more, and the way I do that is through study. So I encourage you, if you have not started, I just want to give you two practical pieces of advice. Number one, find the book of John. J-O-H-N. Start in the book of John. John chapter one, read five verses tomorrow morning to this afternoon. Start there and then go the rest of the way through the end. Skip Revelation until we talk about that. because i love you just start reading listen you know it's not about mass quantities it's about quality god teach me and and when you sit down can i just uh, practically god i'm going to read your word would you would you speak to me through your word today would you challenge me or teach me or equip me would you correct me in some way through your word today Just, just show up in this moment as I read these five verses, I'm telling you, you'll be amazed. Church, reading the Bible is a game changer for us, and you need it for your life. Because it's, it's not enough if your spouse knows the Bible. It's not enough if your parents know the Bible. It's not enough if your neighbor or your grandmother knows the Bible. God says he gave it to you as a gift, and we should desire it more than anything else so that we can be taught, corrected, challenged, equipped, prepared, because God has work to do. Will you stand with me as we close in prayer?
I just want to take a second as we close and just thank God for Scripture because here's the reality. People have paid a price for us to have it. And you know, we as Americans, I think we can look at the price of our freedom as Americans and we get excited about that. We can even get excited about the flag and I'm not putting any of those things down. I believe in that completely. But there is a lot that has been given so that we can have the Scriptures. We should love it so dearly more than anything else. So I just want to pray that for us. God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us, the scriptures, the Bible. Lord, these books that are teaching us, that are challenging us, that are correcting us, that are preparing and equipping us. God, we thank you for the inspiration that has gone into every single word that was written down over the centuries, God, that has been imparted to us, translated into our language so that we could understand it, made available to us so that we can read it wherever we are, whatever we're doing. God, I pray that you would inside of us raise up a hunger for more and more scripture, to know you through the scriptures, to know your heart, to see your goodness, to see your example, God, and be so challenged and changed by it that we desire to be more like you. God, I pray that you would just show up in our lives, our everyday lives through scripture. And Lord, that we would realize that the word of God is alive and active. It's not dead. It's not archaic. It's not out of touch with our problems today. It speaks directly to us where we're at. And it still reveals the hidden innermost thoughts that we have and draws us to be more like you. God, create a hunger in us. Lord, I pray for those who maybe this has been a huge struggle for them. They can't get motivated or they don't think they'll understand it. Lord, would you just challenge them for five verses to start tomorrow? Just five verses and start reading and get into scripture and allow it to change their lives. God, we know that scripture can send our enemy fleeing when we have the truth in our hearts. Lord, let us be filled with the truth of Jesus that we can only find through scripture. God, we thank you, we honor you, we give you glory. God, I speak your blessings over all of us as we go our separate ways today. And I pray that you will raise up within us a hunger to know our Bibles and to know you more. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Lord bless you. Our prayer team will be up here at the front and would love to meet with you if you need prayer this morning. Have a blessed day. Get into the word of God this week.